Hello everyone and welcome back to the Film Score Podcast and welcome to the new year, welcome to 2024. My first interview of the new year is with Frederic Yonet and I think this is actually my first interview with a non-composer, although Fred of course does songwriting and performing. I guess you could say Fred is like a harmonicist, harmonica player for the stars. Among others, Fred has toured and performed with some legendary musicians like Stevie Wonder, Prince, Ed Sheeran, John Mayer. Look at the show notes or the landing page on my site for a longer list. The amount of people he's played with, he performs with, he tours with, is unreal. Although you might not have heard of Fred before this, I guarantee you've heard his music and certainly know the people that he's playing with. But all that aside, why is he on the Film Score podcast? And that's because you can hear his harmonica in The Irishman and, more recently, Killers of the Flower Moon. He was picked out by Scorsese and composer Robbie Robertson to lend his harmonica to the film's score, and it adds a really excellent, interesting flavor and texture. Of course, if you've seen the film, heard the score, you know that. So Fred and I dig into his collaborations with so many artists, all as a build-up to talk about his work in film particularly The Irishman and Killers of the Flower Moon. Now, of course, you can find out more about Fred on his website, social media. You can do the same for me. After this interview, I'll be taking about a month break or so before the next interview comes out, although always a chance you'll hear from me before then. Until then, however, sit back, enjoy, and enjoy this new year. Fred, thank you so much for joining me today. How have you been? I've been wonderful, Nick. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And I'll be frank, I was not familiar with your work as a harmonicist prior to the last, I don't know, week or so ago. Reading about some of the people that you've worked with, watching your tiny desk concert with your band, mm-hmm. it's like, wow, this is impressive stuff. So very cool. I do want to get into your work playing the harmonica on the scores for The Irishman, for Killers of the Flower Moon. But I think being a harmonicist is a bit unusual. You don't hear a lot of people that are, are playing that instrument. So I, I wanted to ask you how you got into that in the first place. Well, it's interesting. I think the uh, the instrument, to be honest, the instrument picked me. It shows me. I mean, look, look at this thing. It fits in your pocket. It's uh, it's very inexpensive. It's, uh, it's easy to find at a, even at a hardware store when you need one. Uh, so it has a connotation of being a toy, and uh, that's really how I got into this. I grew up with asthma as well, and um, I was always carrying carrying an inhaler in my pocket and a harmonica. And the more I was playing this instrument, the more I was re- leaving the inhaler at home. So it helped me feel better, understand my breathing abilities, strengthen my lungs, and uh, basically enhance my health and also expand my social network. I started making a lot of friends. I mean, there's something mystical and magical about this thing disappearing in the hand of the player, you know, and then all of a sudden all these sounds are coming out of, you know, nowhere. It's like a trick. It's like an eye trick, you know, so it was an easy choice. But that, that wasn't the first instrument you, you were playing, was it? Correct. 
I mean, you know, we all grew up with a harmonica somewhere at some point as a child, yeah. but musically I was driven to, I fell in love with music through the drums. Playing the drums was really what I wanted to do. I wanted to uh, be the, the, the guy who was surrounded with all these sounds. And I also wanted to lead the band. So I was starting, I started to listen to band leaders singing on the drums door, like, you know, Art Blackie and Max Roach and Billy Cobham. And I later found out that if you wanted to be a, a drummer, most people would hire you to follow the band, not to lead it. So I got fired from a lot of bands <laughs> from trying to lead from the back. And that's where, you know, I figured I started listening to some pretty elaborate music. You know, I went from listening to pop processed food to going into the organic food market, which is, you know, fusion and jazz. And that completely blew my mind. And I realized that this instrument was not really featured in the music I was mm. really in love with. And that's where I saw that there was an opportunity there to actually lead a band, lead a, lead a live band with a harmonica. So without those sorts of examples of other bands being led by a harmonicist, how did you come up with a sort of a, a structure or a instrumental mixture or sound that you could lead with that instrument, but that was also going to, to feel organic and, and work and make sense? Sure. Well, I started as a as a sideman, as a harmonica player as well, where I was hired, you know, to play in bluegrass and country and blues bands. So that helped me to sharpen my skills as a harmonica player and develop, you know, a palette of sounds, for lack of a better word. And then I started including playing with all these colors. I was like, you know, it, it, was, a easy, it was an easy decision to actually use all those techniques and all those colors I was using as a sideman to start to actually paint my own pictures. And that's what I think you, you recognize when you listen to my music. You will hear an inspiration in gospel, in jazz, in R&B and everything. But you will also feel like there is a main distinct voice that is using all this vocabulary to tell its own story. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's really interesting as well, the sounds that, you know, not just the notes, but the, the tones, the timbres that you're able to get from the harmonica. Because I, I think and you touched on this earlier, a lot of people's experiences with the harmonica are either as kids, because like so many people, I, I had one when I was a little kid as well, or hearing it in like a, a Western, a country, a bluegrass setting where it, it has a particular role. So how have you been able to expand the range of the sound and the notes of that instrument? Well, you're making a very interesting point. And I'm going to answer your question. The, the, the question sure. being, uh, let me rephrase it before I forget it. The question is, how did I expand the, uh, the, the, the sounds of the instrument? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I, I think it comes from a, a, a deep love for the instrument, but also it comes from a vision for the instrument. It comes from the fact that I, I realized that the, the harmonica was mostly anchored in its past. It really didn't have a vision in, in the future. Most harmonica players have been listening to, and the majority of them, I mean, there's of, of course, you know, a few that we can list, but the majority of them are trying to reproduce what has been done and replicate what has made them fall in love with the instrument in the first place, which I completely understand and completely respect, but it is very challenging 
to find the, the, the space for the harmonica in its future. I think having a, having a clear understanding of its potential and being excited by its potential versus looking to reproduce what has been done is really, has really been the, uh, the drive behind all this. The desire to take it from where it was and push it where it's trying to be, mm. following the instrument. In other words, it's really a question of freeing your mind so your heart can follow. How did you get to that point? Because as you mentioned before, you were initially in playing as a um, touring musician, session musician mm -hmm. for those country bluegrass bands that, in my view, are rooted in the, the harmonica's past. Correct. So w was there a moment that in your mind or in, in your playing kind of triggered the let's look forward instead of look back? You know, I think it's a natural thing. Every, everybody gets excited by the new, at least mm -hmm. I am, you know, and I'm sure you are as well because we get excited about, you know, what's coming on the market. And the same, same with live music and, and recorded music. You know, every time there's a new album that comes out, you know, if there's something exciting, what, what did they come up with? My passion for the drums led me to listening to music that is forward thinking. And, uh, and I guess it, it helped feed that, that desire. Hmm. And I'm sure that forward thinking mentality is, is a big reason why you've gotten to the place that you're at today. And looking at the list of some of the other artists, musicians that you've worked with, whether performing, touring as a session musician, I mean, it's... It is such an absurd list. You've got like Stevie Wonder, Prince, John Mayer, Erica Baidu, John Legend, The Roots, Usher. And that's, that's scratching the surface of all of these legendary contemporary musicians. Did you ever expect to be in that position? And did it ever feel surreal to you being on stage with Stevie Wonder, for instance? Oh, absolutely. I mean, every, every moment... I shared the stage with, with Prince or Stevie. I felt like I had the best seat in the house. <laughs> no doubt about it. I, I had the best seat in the house. Uh, <laughs> they, you know, I always, love, I always love to say that uh, it's like living a dream before you get to dream it, you know? <laughs> but to get to that point, 90% of it was preparation. You have to be prepared. You have to practice. You have to sharpen your skills. You have to get ready for any opportunity so that when the opportunity actually presents itself, you can deliver the best you know, your best and make sure that whoever is expecting you to do so is, is satisfied. And what, if anything, was that initial opportunity for you that kind of opened the floodgates into creating the career that you have today? I guess the main milestones, first, picking this instrument was, was a, a huge one, of course. Um, deciding to quit my day job to just, you know, dedicate most of my time practicing and, and playing in jazz clubs in Paris and, and, you know, to, to meet as many musicians as I could and, you know, stretch myself to being able to deliver the best in any opportunity possible. That was another one. And then meeting my wife was definitely a, a big event in, uh, in, in my life and in my career. When uh, I met her in, uh, in, in South of France in 98, and uh, we got married in the U.S. in 2001. I mean, she's, she's a PR goddess, so of course, we work very well together. You know, I'm, I'm very creative, and she, she knows how to guide my creativity and, you know, how to enlighten me in some things I'm overseeing. And, you know, we, we go back and forth. So we have two very creative spirits. That is another one. And, of course, meeting somebody like Dave Chappelle, 
who is a, a musician at heart, he's the one who actually introduced me to Stevie and Prince. And both of these artists then took me on the road with them for three years. And they've introduced me to a lot of artists. He's, he's been extremely supportive. And then, you know, now I have my own friendship with these, uh, these geniuses, uh, including Ed Sheeran, who I've met through Dave. But Ed came to my show at the Blue Note a few weeks ago to surprise me and the audience. And we jammed on stage for a good, a good amount of time. So, you know, it's, um, it's a combination of things. Uh, it's a beautiful recipe. And it's, it's, a, it's amazing to watch it unfold. Oh, I bet. And I, I do want to touch on some of those experiences. But going back to what you'd mentioned a second ago of one of the key things was actually quitting your job, performing music full time, because I think a lot of people that do listen in are musicians, composers, but they're maybe not necessarily at that point where it's something that they can be doing as their career, as their job sure. yet. Sure. And so for you, how did you know that, that the time was right to leave your day job and pursue music full-time? It was actually a Winter, Winter Marsalis interview that really struck me. He, um, I can't remember which interview it was, but I remember hearing, hearing him say that there is a lot of musicians who are going to want to do exactly what you do, you know, and in his case, a trumpet. And the only thing that could make the difference between him and the other trumpet player uh, was the time he would invest into building his own sound and mm -hmm. his own tone. And um, it really struck me, it really uh, hit me deep. And I, and I realized that, you know, he was right. And in, in my world, there's a lot of harmonica players. And most of them, once again, are, try, are spending a lot of time trying to sound like their idol. And I understand that very early. And I decided to invest into developing my own sound which till this day is really a fingerprint. As soon as you hear one of my notes, you know it's me. And it's very, very hard to develop, to craft for any musician. So um, that, was, that was my first, um, that's always been my focus, but it, it, was, um, it was a very early decision that I'm, I'm glad I made. Not, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's clearly worked out. And on that note of creating your distinct sound, are there ever instances where if you're performing with somebody else, touring with them, playing with pick whomever, Prince, for instance, where mm -hmm. Prince is at the forefront, it's, it's his band, that you have to tone yourself down to defer to the band leader, the, the main musician? No, I think you, you really have to surrender your judgment to the leader. In Prince's case, one, one thing I was, that really stretched me. We used to have hours with long rehearsals and, um, he would polish my placement in some of the songs during those rehearsals. And when it was time to perform on stage in front of 30, 50,000 people, he would call me on songs I had not rehearsed and not practiced. <laughs> and the songs I was ready to go and deliver on, uh, he would call somebody else to take the solos. So it always, <laughs> it always messed with my brain a little bit, but I understood later what, it, what he was really trying to do. He built that muscle in me, or at least he helped me realize that that muscle may need to be strengthened and built and the, um, you know, deliver the best, whatever the opportunity is. And, you know, don't try to script it so much. Just go straight with, um, you know, your spontaneity and what you feel in that moment. Surrender to the moment, surrender mm -hmm. to the music. 
you know, get out of the way. And it seems like there's, that, that's one of the beauties of, of seeing live music where there is the, the spontaneity that yeah. you don't know what might happen, who might be playing what they might be playing. Not that there is anything wrong with playing through your songs, your albums as they're recorded, but that is something that's, I think, always exciting when you don't know what might happen and, and the performance surprises you. Absolutely. There is something I actually learned to recognize that fear is actually not another defense system, not only another defense system, but it can be, especially in the, in the world, in the live music world, I believe that fear is a sign of evolution. Mm. It's a sign of change. Whenever you, you're experiencing the anxiety, it's because the environment you're used to is not taking a shape that you are not, you have not anticipated. So now you have two choices. Either you're going to let fear block you and go back to what you're familiar with, or you're actually going to surrender to the environment and see what happens. In most of those cases, option B is the most thrilling and the most uh, satisfying. And that's the moment you, uh, you, you talk about afterwards. That's the moment the audience feels the most. Um, I remember people telling me when, when they see me perform that they really appreciate the amount of freedom that they're experiencing as a listener because of what's happening on the stage. On that note, do you have a for you, a most memorable performance? I think I remember probably most of all of them. The, the ones I'm really looking forward to listening to are actually those particular moments mm. where I, I really decided to, I can recognize it when I listen to it again. I can recognize, oh, this is the moment where the music was taking a weird turn. And I'm so glad I took that turn with it versus trying to guide it you know, in a, in a different direction. Um, those are the ones that I am, and, and with my guys, with my musicians, we are the most excited about. Those are the ones we talk about the most. Um, the other ones, we try to forget them. You know, the sound <laughs> was bad, where the sound engineer didn't know what he was doing, or where I picked the wrong harmonica, grabbed it upside down. That kind of things happens too. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, you know, we don't talk about those moments. <laughs> no, no, no. And with those, are there any other artists, musicians, where those types of the, the positive experiences where it goes a direction you don't expect that that's more common or do you think is is it more common when you're playing with your band no i think it's it's common with the it happens with with most of everybody but you can also see and feel um i think you are naturally attracted to and, and naturally attracted by musicians who have the same uh, desire to explore mm. with you you know, um, the most scripted musicians will be looking in a different direction than so will you. See, and I'm sure in that case, the approach that you have or that somebody else has, they kind of gravitate toward each other in, in ways exactly that are complementary. Right. That I imagine you're going to be, you know, less willing, less interested in performing with someone where it's going to be by the book scripted. Here's everything we're going to do and there's no deviation from it. I mean, of course, there's there's two sides to this business. You have it is a business, mm -hmm. and you have to multiply your sources of income if you want to make a, sustain your 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 living. Uh, so you know, if you are contracted by somebody who's very scripted, you have again to surrender to this. 
and deliver the best in that environment. That's the, um, the contractor's Fred Yonet. Now, when it comes to my project, my preference is, of course, the investigation, the freedom of, you know, uh, let's see where the music takes us. But again, one feeds the other and vice mm -hmm. versa. It's like, you know, it's basically two opposites of the same energy. And on that note, where you're surrendering to someone else's project, and as we mentioned earlier, you've been a musician on the last two Martin Scorsese films, where Robbie Robertson was the, the composer for both The Irishman, Killers of the Flower Moon. That's right. And from the film composer perspective, you're already in the position where you're surrendering yourself, your music in, in certain ways to the, the film, the vision of the director. For you then, are, are you in sort of one more step of surrender where Robbie Robertson, for instance, uh, Scorsese, are your vision, your artistry is deferring or subordinate to, to whatever they want, whatever they need? Absolutely. I had the pleasure of meeting Robbie Robertson at, um, at a party in the Hamptons at Larry Gargorzion's house. And we had a beautiful conversation about music, but I had no idea. I, I didn't realize who I was talking to, to be honest with you. It was, very, it was a casual, casual meeting. Everybody was really cool, uh, and nobody was wearing their, their name tags. So <laughs> fast forward to uh, maybe a year after, after we actually met, and um, they reached out to us because they were looking for a harmonica. They had clearly, he and Scorsese had clearly determined that the harmonica was going to play the sound of the harmonica was going to play a role in the Irishman. And they wanted the harmonica to be this kind of, uh, you know, like Grim Reaper, the, uh, the, uh, almost like the, uh, the, the Darth Vader march, you know, in Star <laughs> Wars, every time you hear that, you see that character, you hear the sound, where in, in the Irishman, every time something, was, something bad was going to happen, you would hear the harmonica start to roam around and take the lead in the score. They reached out to us and they wanted a very, you know, like studio session musician. Um, we explained to them that what I do with the instrument is not common. I can play like a studio session musician, but what I do with the instrument, um, and I'm going to try to tap into this very briefly on the technical side after I tell the story. I explained to them that I morph the sound in a way that most harmonica players do not, and we send them some samples. Once they heard the samples, they decided to switch from wanting a chromatic harmonica player to going with these diatonic harmonica player. Now, technically, the chromatic harmonica is basically two harmonicas in the same body. It's a harmonica in C and a harmonica in C sharp. There's a slide that you push on the side to go a half a step and switch basically harmonicas in the same instrument. And that's what Stevie Wonder plays. You always see him with his big harmonica and he kicks it on the sides. It's because he's actually pushing that slide and goes a half a step. Same with Toots Thielmans. Both of those people have grown up listening to religiously. But the harmonica I picked is called the diatonic harmonica. It only has half of the notes of a chromatic scale. So in order to, to deliver the missing notes, I have to basically torture this instrument with a technique that comes from my throat and my tongue. And I create artificially the notes that do not exist mm. to then match the scale that will be delivered by a chromatic harmonica. That allows me actually to, uh, to bring some more, um, more texture, more emotions, more greediness to the sound. It's, it allows me to sound more like a violin, like a guitar, like a drums, like a human voice. All the sounds 
come from the magic of the diatonic harmonica. Hmm. Stevie is probably the only chromatic harmonica player to my knowledge and to my taste who I think can come anywhere close to this. So when Robbie and, and Scorsese heard what I, what I do with the diatonic, they decided to go with me. Then it, I think it inspired them also to create a, an, another character in Cures of the Flower Moon, which was, again, in, impersonated by the sound of the harmonica, and that is the sound of greed. Having the, the harmonica first be the sound of death and then the sound of greed, I mean, were, were you surprised that that's what they decided to pair the harmonica with? Are, are those things that you associate the instrument with? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> it was it was greed and greed and loss and and killers of the flower moon and 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 death and conspiracy in uh, in the Irishman. All, all my intention, I mean, my 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 drive towards this instrument is out of passion, out of love, out of fascination for it. So uh, when I when I met Scorsese during the the premiere in Cannes. I introduced myself as the the harmonica player on the tracks. He was like, "Oh my gosh, you you're the harmonica you're the harmonica master," and you know we we had a great connection. And he explained to me that he grew up listening to the harmonica. His grandfather, I think, played the harmonica, so he has a deep love for the instrument. And you know, none of those characters impersonated by the harmonica in the movie are anywhere close to my personality. So I had to ask him. I said, "Mr. Scorsese, what is it about my playing that makes you want to kill people?" <laughs> we had a great laugh about it <laughs> love it that's great so let's take a step back for for the irishman then when you were first brought in what was the recording or the writing process like for you i meant to me i went to meet uh, robbie robertson and and uh, jerry levine at the village recorder in uh, in l.a and um, basically, they let me pick the instruments, the microphones and the preamp combination that I thought would work best for my instrument. And then he, um, he already had some very clear ideas of what he wanted to hear. So they had given me some demos that were just played by a MIDI keyboard. So I was prepared. I learned the melody, I learned the placement and everything. And um, Robbie gave me basically three words to focus on. He said... Be sexy, be cool, and be sneaky. That was the only guideline he gave me on the spiritual level. Hmm. Musically, I was supposed to stick to the script, but they also asked me to be a little more creative with the interpretation and to put more of my sensitivity in the playing. And those were the tracks you're hearing now on the, uh, on the score. And with that, so it was just you being recorded or were you there with other players as well now for the irishman it was a live band okay everybody was here yeah yeah george doring uh, jim keltner um i think it's reggie hamilton on bass um so yeah the, the the whole band was recorded live for for killers of the flower moon as well it was rocco and i cannot think of his last name to save my life i'm sorry the guitar player i know his first name is rocco and he has an italian last name you will come back to me as soon as this interview will be over and i'm, I'm sorry rocco if i can't but anyway if we we played live yes mm -hmm. there's one track one track where i'm re-recording on top of the band because i wanted to to have an opportunity to play a little more loosely hmm. and so then with killers what was your conversation with robbie like or, or what if any was his guidance for the sound that he wanted to hear for killers we we, we discussed the um 
the gravity of the uh, of what the Osage tribe went through or what they experienced. I had only heard about about the story on very just slightly on the surface, and so we uh, we went deeper into it. We did some research and uh, tried to imagine what it was like. I mean, Robbie Robertson was himself had himself some some Native American of some some Native uh, ancestors in his family, so it was something that really was extremely meaningful to him. And it, it is something that is so so timely. I mean, look at what's happening around the world right now. Yeah. It is amplified to its end degree, but it, it is it is still something that is very current. So I was trying to um, basically once again surrender to the uh, to the emotions, surrender to the directions, and um, and try to connect what those emotions meant to me on a, on a sonic level. You know, as musicians, we uh, we like to uh, I believe. We like to uh, to create a, a palette of colors and a palette of emotions, you know. And we use just like a painter, we use we use those colors to to create a picture, to create a scene. And that's that's what happened during uh, during that session. Mm-hmm. And did it take time for you and the other musicians, the rest of the band, to gel and and find that the right sound, the right colors? No, it was immediate. It was it was immediate, and I think it's because of two things. Um, first, the, uh, the the musicians are extremely seasoned. Hmm. I mean, we're we're talking about Jim Keltner. I mean, he he was talking about how he had met Jimi Hendrix while he was you know eating eating a sandwich. I mean, it was absolutely a, an amazing <laughs> amazing session. So no, these these guys have they've done it all. But um, but it also it also I think was because of the direction. It was a very clear, very strong, and Robbie Robertson was extremely. Um, clear about what he wanted to achieve but he also had a very sharp method as how to achieve it and still give us the freedom of expressing ourselves with our own voices which is not an easy thing to do and um but there is a scene where you see the uh, the, the main character she's experiencing something absolutely gut-wrenching and she's walking by the side of the river towards a crime scene and as she's walking, you can see the emotions being drained off of her face and she's losing her balance. She's falling in the arms of her husband because it's, it is a terrible, terrible moment in her life. And at the same time, as you see Lily Glaston perform that particular scene, you hear my harmonica very intricately um, underlining her performance. And it is a perfect match that that scene, I'm getting Goosebump thinking about it, as a matter of fact, because when you witness it, you completely forget. I completely forgot that it was me playing it. I mentioned it to Scorsese and I said that scene was absolutely beautiful. And he proudly started to tap his chest with his finger <laughs> and he said, I did it that myself. <laughs> well, and, and on that note, that, that brings up something that I was interested in as well, where for a film's composer, they're... they're composing the music to picture and they're getting various edits of the film and and so when the film is done they generally know exactly how all the music is going to work in the film itself but for you and and I think that example shows it perfectly you, you don't know how that's necessarily going to be so that example aside I mean were you surprised at how the music ended up being used and, and your playing in particular? 
Absolutely. Especially that, that those moments, it was gut-wrenching. The thing I discovered during that process is that the movie was being shot at the same time as the music was being mm. recorded. So basically, Scorsese's process is very interesting. He he shoots, he asks for some ingredients that can potentially match what he's shooting, but everything else is happening in the editing room. So it's basically once he has both of these ingredients, he starts collapsing them and, and basically the story is telling itself. So I believe, I mean, I might be, I might be jumping ahead of myself here, but it <laughs> feels like he as well is surrendering himself to the story so that the story can tell itself with both the film and the music. Hmm. So is, is this, to take a step back, obviously it is really tragic that, that Robbie had passed away earlier this year, mm -hmm. and yet it's, it's also the bittersweet aspect of him being able to release the score that for a, a great film, great score that's, that's getting wide acclaim. And so obviously that's a friendship, a relationship that has unfortunately been cut short. But do you have an interest in working in other films, working on other film scores, provided that it's the the right opportunity for you. Oh, absolutely! I think the um, I mean, I think the, the the instrument works absolutely perfectly for for a situation like this one. I worked on the um, oh gosh, what is that song with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga? Um, a Star Is Born. The Star Is Born. Thank you. I worked on <laughs> <laughs> I worked on the Star Is Born. There is a there is a scene, the wedding scene, as a matter of fact, where you can see both characters putting some cake on on each other's nose. Well, I was I was the band. Mm -hmm. um, I was in the back in the uh, in the director's cut. Actually, you hear some of the tracks we uh, I produced for the uh, for the movie. Two things. I feel, I feel like the, the the harmonica itself has a such a wide range of sounds and and textures that can really be associated to anything the director is connected to. It's not about me in these moments. Again, you know, I am not greed. I am not uh, <laughs> the Grim Reaper. Obviously, it's not nothing that I am, but it meant something to somebody. And when I saw the end result, it was a perfect match. So yes, the instrument is uh, has a beautiful range of sounds it can deliver for any kind of visual uh, visual aspect. And uh, I, I love to be the guy behind it to deliver it. Well, and it's I, I think it's there are a few instruments like that that seem like they can be very appropriate in the right circumstance if used the right way. Uh, you can see behind me, I feel the same way about classic guitar and, and film music as well. That's so, what it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and so being able to hear something else that adds something different to the palette, a different texture, is to me always really exciting. It's It's always fun to hear something different, not just because it's different, but also because of the different dynamic, the different dimension it can it can add. Right. And then and exploring the new, exploring the yes. new. That that's what that's so exciting. I mean, you can beatbox with this thing and, and still have the harmonica create some chords in the back of it. You can you can sound like a like a crying baby or you know you, you can you can really do a there's such a wide range or you can sound extremely happy. Um as a matter of fact I see when when I when I do some master classes or some sessions, you know, in a high school, I notice that I play differently and the harmonica sounds differently mm -hmm. because I want to make sure that the children connect to it. Um, you know, when, when I play for for um, somebody older you know, at, a, at, a, 
somebody in my family has a birthday or something like this, I'm going to play a little more mature. So it is such a, it does, it does give you a lot of potential if you spend the time, um, you know, expanding your, your, your thinking around the instrument. And that's really, I think, what's it, what it's all about. Expand the way you think about the instrument. Absolutely. And I don't, I don't know, I, frankly, I hope you don't do this, but if you ever look at like the comments to your Tiny Desk concert, there are so many of them that are people just awed and baffled at the different sounds that are coming out of your harmonica. And so I, I think that's I think that's great that that it's opening people's minds and eyes to how this instrument can be used in, in different exciting new ways. And then the possibility of if you take it a step further, what other instruments can this be done to? Or or is you know, is this possible for everything? Mission accomplished. I yes. love to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Fred, it, it was it was really great chatting with you and frankly it was also just great hearing your music, listening to some of the cues from both of those films, some of the songs from them with an ear towards your playing because it really does unlock something different as well. So it's it's really exciting stuff. So so thanks again for, for joining me, for chatting with me today. Nick, it was a real pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Good luck with everything. Thank you. You too.